This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Happy Friday, woman fam. I'm so pumped. Jack, are you pumped? That it's Friday? Always. Well, that and this is our first official episode with Freeze by Co, co-fertility that is helping to do our egg retrieval and it's going to just drop so much knowledge and we just get to talk about all the amazing things that co-fertility is doing. I, I'm so excited to dig in on this episode. A hundred percent. You actually touched on this a little bit in our episode last week when we were doing all the updates that we're so excited to just share the knowledge. We are so lucky to have all of the experts come on. And so this is the beginning of a five or six part series that we're going to be doing simultaneously for the next month or so following our journey of egg freezing. And this is the big kickoff. So to kick off this series, we are interviewing the CEO and co-founder of Cofertility, Lauren Mackler. What a freaking powerhouse. I could like sit and talk to her all day just throughout her vision and like passion through creating co-fertility and just hearing her own personal story throughout this was like really resonating. Absolutely. We are big manifestors here on the podcast. And so it was really interesting to hear her story about how she struggled with her own fertility journey and how she's had such a successful career leading up to starting co-fertility. So really cool to hear all of that. We also, during this series, want to give everybody as close of a real-time update with what is going on with DNI in our egg freezing journey. So we touched a little bit on this last week on where we were, thinking that we're going to start the hormones soon. Danielle, do you want to share our listeners into what the updates are and where we're at in egg freezing? Yes. Deep breath. I, deep breath. You know, as nurses, we like to have control of situations. We like to have a plan. And that plan all came crumbling down last weekend, for me at least. And through a little bit of wrench in you too, because we're trying to do this together so that we can be there for each other and support each other through it. So Jack and I have both done the initial testing, which goes over, you know, STI testing, CBCs, your AMH, all that good stuff, which we will, I promise, get into in another episode in like a way more in-depth way that I think will be really important. But for me personally, I found out that I am severely anemic. 8.7 8.7 is my hemoglobin. Um, I sent that off to, you know, good friend, Danny Levesque and friend of the pod. And she was like, she's like, bitch, that is low. <laughs> it's really fucking low. Danielle, that's so low. It's so like, low. So low. And wait, I just love that. Like so many people tuning in are in healthcare and they're going to know what you mean when you say your hemoglobin is 8.7. They're also going to be like, damn it, Danielle, what the hell is going on? I know it, it kind of it it honestly scared me a bit because Dr. Ultra was so so like worried. I was like, eh, it's iron. Like, psh, what do I, that's not that big of a deal. And then I'm like, oh, oh, OK. And he starts throwing out like iron infusions and stuff like that. And I'm like, 
Okay, so this is actually, this is serious. And this also could be contributing to, and I think it definitely is contributing to um, some like own personal things that I've been experiencing with my health. And so I'm grateful for it because I feel like this has given me some answers. It has given me some really good things to do to take care of my health and hopefully start seeing some changes. But with being as anemic as I am, um, Dr. Ultra was not comfortable going forward um, as planned, starting hormones and everything like that this week until I get my hemoglobin. He's like, I want it at least 9.5, <laughs> which still is kind of low. So what did he say? I'm curious. Like, obviously, you're taking supplements now, now but yeah. what did he give you a gauge on like what's realistic? Like how long would it take to get your hemoglobin up? He told me it can take months to get your hemoglobin back up. And he's like, I don't, I don't want you to get a paper cut, let alone your period. So for me personally, I'm started like right back on birth control, but it was also at a point where I was going to start my period in like a couple of days. My body always has other plans with that. And I totally started bleeding through the birth control. And this week has been. I've been exhausted. Like I I've never really felt this like level of exhaustion on top of it, which makes me kind of worried. You know, it's my nursing brain. I'm like, Oh, well, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's something deeper. And I just moved to a new city and I don't have a PCP up here yet. And like, <laughs> probably won't be able to get in with them for like a month. So it's been pretty stressful. Mm hmm. Yeah. You were also, you know, gearing up mentally to starting the hormones and doing this whole cycle. And so, yeah, overall, you know, it's been how long? About like a week since you found out that mm -hmm. you're anemic, that you've been doing all these supplements. How are you feeling right now in this moment? Right in this moment, I have cramps. I am exhausted. <laughs> um, the iron is like, you know what? Fuck TMI. I think it's having like an opposite effect on me. I'm not constipated. And it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a space cadet. I'm tired. And, you know, Michael's just been so sweet. He's like, well, what do you need? What do you need from me? And he came over last night and I was like, I'm just so tired. Like, my cramps are radiating to my back. Like, just rub my back and hold me. That's all I need. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So. So the plan is just continue with the supplements. And when are you rechecking? Do you know? Four weeks. Okay. So I'm on ferrous sulfate three times a day. And just trying to get that back up. But like, I'm bummed, yeah. you know, like I really... I wanted to get this done. It feels like, you know, my body's let me down in this aspect. It feels like I've let you down with like planning, which I, I know that's, you know, insane, whatever. But Ridiculous. like when you're trying to, when you, I know, but like, you know, when you're trying to do this together with somebody and you think everything's going to line up on time and it's going to line up perfectly and then it just doesn't and you just kind of have to let go of control in that which is hard. I think it's like a good reminder as we're starting this process to that we cannot control everything and that we're just mm -hmm. going to 
go with the flow and roll with the punches. And luckily on the brighter side, you know, where I know it's hard in the moment. I know you, I can't even imagine how you feel being so severely anemic, but trying to like take a step back on the bright side, like we are still doing this together. It is literally not a big deal for me to push it off with you. Some of your other lab values were promising. So that is yes. good. Luckily, it feels like there's something you can do about this one. And mm -hmm. on the very bright side, you made the funniest joke when we were talking on when we were recording last episode. You guys, Danielle started the, the episode. I don't think it made it into the episode. It was just her and I talking before. And she said, I seriously look like a vampire. Like I am from twilight. Like, look at how pale I am. Like, this is terrible. Look at how bad the lighting is in my new apartment. And I was like, yeah, actually you do like look really bad. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't even being nice. I literally was like, you were like, maybe I should turn the ring light off. And I was like, uh, no, actually that made it worse. Like turn it back on. <laughs> Little did we know Danielle found out she was severely anemic, like right after that. So we were like, like okay. right after it. We were like, yes, yeah. it wasn't the lighting. Like you're just pale as shit. <laughs> Yeah, um, I have a severely low hemoglobin. Yeah, you have no blood in your body. You actually are a vampire. So maybe I need. Yeah, I need to go suck some blood. It made. <laughs> it made that. It made that comment like very hilarious. I was like, remember it when did. you joked about being a vampire like five hours ago? Like you actually are. Yeah. I, yeah, and I I actually only look semi normal right now is because I have a spray tan on. Like, I'm translucent. You've got a good glow going. And like I said, when, you know, we talked about this, they, you know, co-fertility in you obviously asked, do you want to move forward with freezing or do you want to wait for Danielle? It was like a no-brainer for me. I was like, oh, well, I'm waiting. One, because we had talked about doing it together for so long. Yeah. And two, like from a selfish standpoint, like I was getting really nervous. I'm like, I don't. I'm not ready to do this. Like, and I definitely don't want to do it alone. So like, really? yeah, like I was not like when this happened, like I was very relieved, to be honest. I was very okay. relieved. Yeah. I was like, okay, this feels right. I just, again, like the perfectionist too. I'm like, I don't feel like my body's ready. Like for whatever mm -hmm. reason, I'm like, I just want more time to like focus on my diet, cut out alcohol, like exercise in a healthy way more. I just didn't feel ready. So when this happened, I was obviously really, I'm still very concerned about you is like having to like chug molasses over there, but, um, which you can't do because it makes you shit yourself. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. So I'm still curious. I haven't gotten my labs back. I would have imagined if something was like very off, Dr. Olcho would have been like, uh, yeah. some, you know, so I'm guessing everything's like a okay for now. So we're just, I'm going to, you know, support the iron journey as best as I can until we get you <laughs> ready. And um, I have one more update on, you know, why selfishly I was like, oh, this isn't the worst situation in the world because this is my spring break. We had talked about freezing and getting the retrieval over my spring break because it worked well um, with mm -hmm. the schedule. But now I have an open spring break. So do you know what I'm doing tonight? Are you going back to Italy? Close. You're going to Paris. We're flying to Paris tonight. <laughs> With your hot new pilot boyfriend. We're flying to Paris. I was like... Wait, is he flying the plane? Is no. he working? No, he's not flying the plane. Okay, because no, that'd be no. really cool. He's not flying the plane. We are, yeah, hopping on a flight at 8 p.m. tonight, and we'll be in Paris at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Oh, my God. Jack. Uh, 
We're just going for like four days. It's going to be a really quick trip, but literally he had time off. And since we're not having to freeze or do injections right now, I was like, well, I have the week off. So like, what do you want to do? And he's like, let's go to Europe. I'm like, let's go. So, um, yeah. So Uh, (laughs) that's amazing. I'm so excited for you guys. I know it'll be fun. So while you're at home getting IV, I really think you should maybe do an iron infusion. Are you against trying that? I mean, no. they, do, they do that in clinic and like med spas and stuff. Really? Yeah. That feels a little weird. I'd rather go like a doctor. Yeah. Do I it. mean, yeah. Maybe ask around. Ask around because yeah. I think people have tried that. Ask around. Okay. But anyway, those were the updates. <laughs> For now. Real life, real time this updates. We're why... actually getting on a plane yes. tonight. You will have to obviously you know, listen to this episode. We hope you guys love it. And then next week we'll have some more updates. Who knows what can happen in the next seven days on this process. So we will have to keep you guys updated. But again, we hope that you love this episode with Lauren and we will catch you on the other side. I just have to say, I'm loving that you both are in such badass sweatshirts right now. We've got Lauren Mackler, the CEO and co-founder of Co-Fertility in a totally like boss-ass Co-Fertility sweatshirt. Then we've got our resident freaking creative genius, Dr. Jacqueline Camardo and Riot Healers business maker extraordinaire and the new feminist sweatshirt, which you can also get on riothealers.com. <laughs> okay, enough with the <laughs> shameless plugs, Danielle, for, for Riot Healers. <laughs> I love it. It's a good sweatshirt. I know you didn't get the memo. You didn't get the memo of the sweatshirt memo, D. You're in a cute turtleneck. <laughs> I know. I thought I was going to get, you know, my driver's license taken today. Can't find my social security card. Spent two hours <laughs> waiting to get labs drawn. Today was not been my day, but now it's getting better. You have a Steve Jobs vibe going, though. Okay, great. That's what I was you know, going for. Like a real innovator look. <laughs> That's what I wanted to read forever on my Ohio State ID. <laughs> Love that. Well, Lauren, welcome to the WOMED. Thank you so much for joining us today on this Friday. We are so excited to jump in on all things egg freezing. Danielle and I obviously have had a few episodes to start that have kind of just touched the very surface about why we're egg freezing, kind of what this process is looking like. We've touched a little bit on co-fertility, but we are so honored to have you, one of the co-founders and CEO of co-fertility, because this was not an easy decision for Danielle and I. This was something that we spent a lot of time thinking about and we vetted you know, a lot of different companies. How do we want to do this? Who do we want to work with? It was really important to us in starting this process to work with a company that aligned and had similar values on the meaning of reproductive choices and freedom and the definition of family. So we really could not be happier to go on this journey with co-fertility and to have your support also specifically. So just first off, thank you so much for, for everything so far and for being here. Thank you guys. Seriously, like it's such an honor to be here. I love what you do for this community and 
for women in general, I think it's just so important to to have your voices and we couldn't be more thrilled to to work with you on this. I feel I feel very excited today. I just started my period, need to get the second round of labs and stuff mm-hmm. done today. And I was like, we got to get this done. I got to get back because I get to interview Lauren today. <laughs> and I'm just like, to echo what Jack said, we are such huge fans of co-fertility and what your company is doing in the reproductive space. Do you want to start by kind of going into some of the different programs that you guys offer? for improved access to fertility care? Yeah, I would love that. So I guess, you know, you guys have touched so much on on access and I just want to like start there. We've covered why, you know, egg freezing is something that women really should consider and think about proactively whether or not it's right for them. The troubling part of it, right, is that it is so inaccessible for so many people, right? The cost is just too high, right? And and we always talk about how like the best time to freeze your eggs is when you can least afford it, right? The younger yeah, you are. hundred <laughs> percent. Wow. The younger you are, the greater the egg quantity, the greater the egg quality. But we're in this, you know, moment of our lives that, you know, that is just not something that we can like spend our money, right? Could be that you have student loans or you're like living paycheck to paycheck, trying to pay your rent or, you know, trying to get your footing in your career. And so, you know, while the science is there, that this is like a great option for women to have, it's still just cost prohibitive. Um, And, you know, there certainly are companies that are paying for it as a benefit, but it's really not happening for those in the, in the healthcare fields. So um, I'm happy to tell you like, my journey and how I got here, but at our core, co-fertility really is addressing this access issue around egg freezing through two programs. Um, One is called Keep, one is called Split. Um, The Split model, I think, is, is pretty interesting for a lot of people in that we offer women the opportunity to freeze their eggs for free when they donate half to a family who can't otherwise conceive. So that could be someone who's struggling with infertility, someone who um, maybe has, you know, age-related reasons that they're not able to conceive or hopeful gay dads. They obviously need the help of an egg donor to grow their family. And we offer them the opportunity to do that without cash compensation for donation, which is incredibly appealing for intended parents and is something that a lot of women who otherwise weren't interested in egg donation, feel a lot better about because it feels less transactional. So our split program, though, is for women who specifically qualify for egg donation. We can talk about what some of those qualifications look like. Um, But when they do donate, they get to keep half of those eggs stored for 10 years free, which is really incredible because storage can be one of the most costly parts of this equation. So that's our split program. And then we have a keep program. And the keep program is for women who either just aren't interested in donation, which is like totally cool. It's not for everybody, nor should you ever feel pressured to do that. Um, Or if you don't qualify to do the split program, um, clinically speaking. And so the keep program is an opportunity for women to freeze their eggs, keep 100% of those eggs for themselves, 
and benefit from the partnerships that we have in the the co-fertility sort of ecosystem to help less, lessen the financial burden. Um, but regardless of which path you choose, whether it's our keep or split program, we offer support, guidance, and community along the way. Egg freezing can be lonely and isolating, and it doesn't have to be. Um, and so I'm really proud that we're able to like connect women with others who are going through the process at the same time so that you get to feel supported and sort of like, like the way that you two are, right? Like you're going through it together. You, you have, um, you know, a partner in this. And so, um, we're bringing that to, to people on both sides. So that's what we're doing with freeze by co and then family by co is where intended parents come to find their perfect match in egg donor. I think the first time I heard about this business model, like even hearing you speak about it again, I want to get up on a table and like fist pump and just be like, <laughs> hell freaking yes. Like this, this idea is genius. This is so genius. How's no, almost like how's no one thought of this before? I want to like get on the rooftops and scream this to people because I think it is so important. And I, I definitely want to dive in more to the split program and the keep program later on. Yeah. Because like you guys, co-fertility, not only are you a female founded and funded company, Mm -hmm. you're making egg freezing more accessible. You're pushing against these extremely outdated standards and stigmas around the process. And overall, just advocating for people, for all people and families through awareness and family planning and for different communities like the LGBTQ community that people don't really think about when they think about egg freezing or IVF or fertility journeys right away. So hell yes. Like before I start, like no one wants to see me fist pump. So before we do that, <laughs> I want to take want, Jack. No, nobody needs to see that. Look, luckily again, like this is this is the podcast. So no one gets to see me do that. Um, but I want to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned that you have a personal journey with fertility with as much as you're comfortable with. Can you share with us what that journey look, has looked like for you? Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm an open book and I think um, of course people should like talk about what they feel comfortable with. But I think that the more people are willing to share and discuss, the more other women can learn from it. So I'm an open book as are are my two co-founders. Started for me, actually, I'll give a little bit of background. I spent eight years at Uber. So I launched Uber across the East Coast and started the healthcare arm of Uber, which is called Uber Health. For all you healthcare folks out there, um, it is a way to help your patients get to the care they need. Um, it's, I pitched this business to our executive leadership team in 2017 and within a month or they said, yes, which was exciting. So we got the investment to build it. And now, um, it's a pretty massive arm of Uber for, for healthcare companies. Um, but within a couple months of pitching that business, I, uh, became a patient myself unexpectedly. Um, I found one morning I woke up, I had a pain in my side and pushed for some diagnostic testing. And within a a few days, honestly, I had a diagnosis where I had masses growing throughout my abdomen. Um, I, it's like super, super rare disease. I'm one of, I think one of 154 people on the planet to ever be diagnosed with this disease. Like I just got the chills. Wow. Right. Like talk about rare. And I'll just, for, for, I feel like this audience will be interested um, it's called benign multicystic peritoneal mesothelioma. So like total mouthful, considered benign or low grade, but 
grows and could like impact my organ function. Right. So pretty scary, very rare. I knew I had to have a surgery or two or three to remove the disease. And so I knew that like my reproductive system was at risk. And so I went to see an REI and said, Hey, should I freeze my eggs? Like, how do I prepare for all of this? And they said, Ooh, like your disease is so rare. Let's maybe not freeze your eggs. Like we just don't want to like make it worse. Um, you know, or we just like don't know what would happen. So, you know, that's not going to happen, but eventually maybe egg donation would be in your future. Or the doctor actually said to me, do you have a sister? And I was pretty like shocked by all of this because it happened really quickly um, and started looking into egg donation. Like, okay, if it came to this, like if I had to remove my ovaries and these, this surgery that I'm having, like what would egg donation look like for me? And I saw just like how antiquated and old school and sort of icky it was, right? And and not to like shame anyone who has gone through a traditional egg donation, but for me, I just couldn't believe that like such massive amounts of money were exchanged for someone giving their eggs. And, you know, the more educated a donor or the more specific their heritage is, the more money the compensation warrants. And it just was like bizarre. And and I couldn't believe like how old school it seemed for how many people really grow their family through egg donation today, right? Like so much of fertility and reproductive health has moved forward, but this just felt really like it had been lacking. Um, Around that time, my sister, who already had two beautiful children at the time um, and was 34, which is like the oldest you can be to donate your eggs, offered to freeze her eggs and donate them to me ahead of my surgeries. And so we decided to go through with that. It was like the most incredible gift anybody has ever given me. And what it meant was that I had incredible peace of mind going into these surgeries. I ended up having three major surgeries. And after the third one, I remember thinking like, oh, like I, I can now recover and go about my life making decisions about my career, my life, like knowing that these eggs are there waiting for me should I need them someday. And long story short, I waited like a year that was recommended by my doctor before trying to conceive. My husband and I were like, okay, we want to have a family. It feels like the time is right for us. And my doctor said, if you're not pregnant after six months, come see me. We'll talk about using your sister's eggs. On the sixth month, I conceived unassisted without using my sister's eggs. I now have a, a beautiful, almost two-year-old daughter named Eden. Oh my gosh. And it was this like huge moment for me to give birth to her in that I had almost like immediate clarity that I needed to like change my career and focus on reproductive health. Um, I had wow. built this like cool digital health thing at, at Uber. But it was time Like I knew like I, I want to enable as many people as possible to have this amazing gift that I have of like a child that I so deeply wanted and I wanted to give that to other people. So we, we talked a little bit about manifestation actually before this and I'll, I'll bring up that topic because I'm like always down to talk about it. I had been doing a lot of work around like what does my future look like and how can I like align my passions and my my skills and my interests into one thing. And I gave notice at Uber after my maternity leave without a plan, just like knowing I wanted something in reproductive health. 
within a day, I didn't even like post it on LinkedIn or Instagram or anything. Within a day, Hallie Teco, who is my now co-founder, one of my two co-founders, um, who is an incredible advocate for women's health, reproductive health, investor herself, and um, former founder who actually built the company called Natalist, uh, which does pregnancy tests, ovulation kits, things like that, had sold it to Everly Well, DM'd me on Instagram and was like, hey, like, heard you might be building something. How's it going? I was like, I'm not building anything. Like, what? Like, are any of your portfolio companies hiring? I just gave notice. And she's like, you're on the market? What's your phone number? And I like, keep in mind, she's like a, a role model to me. And so I remember like running down the stairs being like, Jake, like, look who just DM'd me. Oh my God, Hallie Teco DM me. We get on the phone. She pitches me on this business idea around egg freezing and egg donation, having not known at all about my experience with my sister and donor eggs wow. and egg freezing. So like me who had never stopped thinking about egg freezing and egg donation and like how much of a gift these things are, but how far they need to come to really work in the way they they deserve and that women deserve, right? Like it just was so, so, so fortuitous and serendipitous. And so Hallie and I have been like running at this ever since. Um, she is someone, I'll just give you a little tidbit about her background. She is someone who like her biggest regret in life is not having frozen her eggs in her 20s. Um, she's gone through, you know, multiple rounds of IVF, multiple miscarriages, and just like could not have at the time, didn't know in her 20s that she could proactively freeze her eggs, nor could she have afforded it at the time, right? And so bringing access to more people to be able to do that, and then also just like improving egg donation at the same time is something that she's so passionate about. Um, and then we brought on Arielle, who had her own journey with surprising infertility and and since has had two beautiful children through IVF. Um, but just all three of us feel so deeply passionate about building something better in this space. Oh my gosh. I I had like physical chills and like goosebumps during that story. Thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing that. That's, that's really, oh my gosh, the power of, <laughs> not to get pushy, the, the power of like timing and taking that like leap and like just the different people that come into your life when they're supposed to come into your life is pretty, pretty outstanding. It, and just like the timing of you, you quitting the job, you leaving the job, like opening space for something yeah. beautiful to come in. It's just, mm -hmm. wow. I think it's so important for me to share that part of the story because mm -hmm. yeah, you have to like open yourself up to something like beautiful and huge coming in. Right. Like, and Literally every day since this has now been, I was at the end of 21. I have never like turned back even for a second. Like I feel so, so right that this is the moment in time for what we're building. I couldn't agree more truly because especially with all the conversations around reproductive rights and, and access to healthcare and, uh, it's it's so important for people who want to be parents and want to build a family to have access to something that will help them do that. 
you kind of touched on some of these larger scale issues surrounding egg freezing and mm-hmm. egg donation that that you experienced or that you started to understand as you went through it personally. Can you touch a little bit more on some of those larger scale issues, whether it's political, societal, you know, we talked about the financial issues yeah. around it. Would you mind touching on that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, frankly, I think the financial issue is the biggest one as it relates to egg freezing, right? Like you know, the experimental label has been lifted. It's something that like, we know women are having children today later than they ever have been, right? I think the the age or the average age that women are starting to have a family is 30, which is like the highest on record ever in the US. You know, I want to be clear, egg freezing is, shouldn't be considered an insurance policy, shouldn't be considered a guarantee. However, people who do experience infertility later in life are shown to be more likely to have a child if they have frozen their eggs, right? And we know the outcomes are better the younger you are when you freeze your eggs. So like that is is just fact at this point. And I one of your earlier episodes, you guys talked about like how frustrating it is that like this falls to women. And I like could not agree more with that. And even the question about like, my gosh, like I have to stop birth control or do I want to stop birth control to a pet? Like it's infuriating that like, this is the position that we're in. However, when I look at it and actually ASRM, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine talks about how egg freezing can contribute to gender equality, right? Like if women don't have to worry about this pressure of like, my God, I have to like, make this career move before I can have children so that I feel comfortable by the time I have maternity leaves or, you know, I have to like, you know, put my career on pause. Like that would be amazing, right? Like if, if women are in some way on a more equal footing to men, like I'm here for that. Um, and so, you know, the societal stuff, it makes me angry, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, now what? Like, I'm like a move into action kind of person. Like I could sit here and be angry about about it all day long, but I just want to like move and I want to create access. And so that's a big piece of it. I think on the egg donation side, one of the most frustrating parts about it is the lack of diversity amongst egg donors leaves intended parents without options. And that really infuriates me, especially when you think about the LGBTQ community that's like already underserved as it relates to family building options and reproductive options. So being able to address that is something that I'm I'm pretty happy about, right? Like giving them more choice. And, you know, whenever I meet an intended parent that's looking for an egg donor, I'm like, look, I know no one ever wants to meet me. Like you're not excited to get on this call with me. Um, but if I could at least make you feel like you're not settling for an egg donor, like that will make me feel like I've done my job well today. And so diversity amongst egg donors is is a huge one. But I really think that like the stigma involved with egg donation really is rooted in cash compensation. I think that women feel icky, like selling their eggs, which is the way that it sort of feels, right? Like ads in college newspapers of like, oh, pay you you know, tens of thousands of dollars if you donate your eggs, like it feels icky, it feels transactional when otherwise donating your eggs would feel like doing something really kind for another family, right? But like that cash piece of it 
takes away from that. And so I think by removing cash compensation and instead providing women with access to half of those eggs retrieved and storing them for them, it's like more of a win-win and, you know, intended parents feel like they're empowering someone and women can feel like, wow, I'm doing something for myself and for someone else. I th- you're so right with that cash, the monetization of it, because, and especially targeting, it feels predatory in a way mm-hmm. because we, these young women might not have like the best job or career, or they might be in school trying to pay off their loans. And then you have someone that's like, oh, I'll give you $20,000 to sell me your eggs. And like, that can be really, really inviting. You know, you're like, oh my God, this could really help me. And then you almost become, I've, I've heard of people of, of women doing like multiple cycles Mm -hmm. just to get paid for doing these things. I saw on TikTok the other day was an ad where a woman was like holding a Gucci bag and they had like a green screen of the Eiffel Tower behind her. And it was like, want to go to Paris this summer? Donate your eggs every three months. It's like, yeah. Which like, oh my God. Like, you know what? Let alone what that could do to your body. Like the repeated like cycles. I don't like that it's positioned as like an income stream, like a side hustle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that is so upsetting when it's like such a big decision for someone to donate their eggs. And it's such a big decision for intended parents to grow their family through egg donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually studies show that there was a study that came out um, in Harvard from Harvard in 2021 that was like donor conceived people actually struggle with the idea that their parents paid cash to their donor, like for their own conception. Right. And wow. so if we know that now, let's be better. Let's do better. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is so interesting. Because when you said that, when you said that, um, when you've brought up this idea of the compensation, my my brain lit up too, because I think on a personal level, a hundred percent, I think that that's something to do with being women, w- women just in general, I think, mm-hmm. um, like you internalize that as it being bad. But I also think this there's a place for this in, in a larger com- conversation with family planning and with, um, with, with working with donors and donor families of when there's a compensation involved. And Lauren, I'm curious to hear your input on this because you're the expert and you've, you've, t- you've worked with so many families at this yeah. point. But from what I'm thinking is if there's a compensation involved, that makes the donation process want to seem more like a hush-hush transaction where it's like, yeah, we don't want to know the donor. The donor doesn't want to know the family instead of having this like open communication about thing. It's like, let's like put this under the rug and like not talk about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, totally taboo. And we believe in what we call mutual matches, right? So when we say, so say you're applying to our split program, your application, your medical history, all of that gets approved by our clinical operations team. We meet with you one-on-one to educate you on what egg donation means and the whole process. Um, then your profile gets listed. Intended parents have the opportunity to then look at profiles and decide like, oh my gosh, yes, this is a match. This is the donor we want to move forward with. We then reach out to the to the donor, our split member. We share more about the intended parents and we confirm what we call a mutual match, right? It's it's not a situation where you have like no idea where your eggs are going. Um, you get a say in this too. 
And we actually give people the opportunity to do what we call a match meeting, where you can get on a Zoom with the intended parents. Um, or we've actually had some folks meet in person over brunch, like, and have mm-hmm. a real conversation and decide, like, you know, one, is this the person we want to move forward with? Or is this the family that you want to enter this arrangement with? And what kind of relationship do you want in the future, right? Like, there are some people who meet the the two dads that they're going to enter into this arrangement with. And they're like, oh my God, I love them. You know, I would love to be in touch over the years and, you know, get updates about how their baby is doing, or, you know, would love to get a holiday card every year. Um, and then there are scenarios where folks are like, you know what, like, I'm so happy to do this, but would love to just keep this a little bit more at an arm's length. Um, but, and that's okay too, right? Like we're all about choice in this process. Mm-hmm. We actually heard from, we were were closely in touch with like the donor conceived community, right? There are a lot of donor conceived people who now advocate for the rights of future donor conceived people, which I think is so important. And what they say is that like a lot of times donor conceived people wonder, like, do I measure up to the cost that my parents paid a donor for me to exist, right? And like, that breaks my heart. Um, oh my gosh. Because it shouldn't be like, right? Like mm-hmm. they should just know they were wanted and that they're loved. And um, I hate that like a dollar amount has to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. You bring up, oh my gosh, these studies and stuff that are are showing this. I think so little gets put on the thought of what these kids grow up feeling about themselves. Mm-hmm. And you bring up that point, like, do I measure up to the amount that was paid for me? That's like, that's gutting. We kind of now, you know, obviously like this is why I'm so grateful to talk to you because co-fertility and having this conversation with you is opening up all these points that so many people don't think about when discussing fertility and egg freezing and trying to break down these different stigmas. And I think the next stigma that I'm thinking about is is age. Like we think about age. That's so, so big in our medical community. And most of our listeners here at the WOMED are in the medical community. We have a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors. I had just looked up an article that the New York Times quoted that women now are completing their medical training at 31 and that most female physicians give their first birth at 32. I know for women with their PhDs or the average age for a doctorate for a woman is now 31 as well. So let's think about these numbers because the average for a, for someone not in the med in in medicine is 27 now, which like you said, is, is older. We're getting older. The average age for Mm -hmm. a woman between, you know, 27. Now I think you said 30. But that's still a five-year age difference when we're talking about fertility that's going down. I hate to say that because it's like, (laughs) but realistically, fertility that is decreasing in egg number and quality every year, five years after 27 is a big difference. Yeah. So I have to just tell you that article in the New York Times is one of the reasons I felt compelled to start this business. So it said that 25% of female doctors who are trying to conceive are faced with fertility challenges. And that is about double the rate of the general public. Like, holy 
Yeah. Wow. We like, can swear on this podcast. You okay. I was like, uh, can I, can I like, <laughs> what? Like I saw that. And of course, like my brain, my wheels start turning. I'm like, why is that? Right. Mm-hmm. Huge reason is because yes, like the training takes so long, like getting stability in your career takes so long that, or even financially, right? Like you want to be in a good financial position before you start having children. So yes, like I think those in the healthcare field are waiting longer. Mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, the fact that I think women in medicine can be really hard on their bodies, right? Like you guys are working crazy long hours and mm-hmm. um, it's Eating hard what's to- in the break room. Yeah, it's hard to take care of yourself when your whole career is focused on taking care of others, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a huge piece of this. Um, and a big part of it is age. And what I'll tell you, what's kind of wild is that out of our, we we launched this past October and we've had a ton of success making matches since then. 20% of our match donors so far match split split members are doctors so we have they're definitely like interested in what we're doing obviously but doctors and healthcare professionals i think are really desirable for intended parents to match with um Mm -hmm. on the flip side what i'm starting to see because we get to know the intended parents we work with really well a lot of them are doctors as well I haven't yet run the numbers and I should ask my team. We can, we can do it as a follow-up because I'm so curious. Um, A lot of them are doctors who are in their forties or even late Mm thirties who said, I did everything to prioritize my career. And frankly, I waited too long and now I need an egg donor. Um, We have like a huge portion of our intended parents come to us due to age as opposed to just like an infertility diagnosis. Right. So um, that's something to consider, right? That like they're doing this at a point where they just don't have the ovarian reserve or quality that's needed to have a baby with their own eggs. I'm curious with the studies that have come out showing what children of donor eggs feel like from like a transactional standpoint. I wonder if something similar will come up with well, my donor egg was a doctor and like did all this stuff. And like, if there's still going to be some of those same, like measuring up components. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, am I as amazing as my, as my donor egg? As my donor egg. <laughs> yeah. But Lauren, you bring up such a good point with this because I was actually thinking about this recently because, okay, I'm, I'm side, side note, I'm dating this guy that works for a major airline. Mm-hmm. And he gets so many travel benefits, right, through this major airline. And then I think about, you know, my friends that work in retail and all the benefits that they get in retail, you know, 30% yep. discount at the store, get to shop for free or, you know, whatever the, the benefits are. I'm pretty sure healthcare is the only field where you don't get any special benefits oh my God, from no, working you don't. in healthcare. Yep. So, and I even think about these statistics when I'm thinking about literally REI doctors who have to go do a seven-year residency don't come out of their residency until like the earliest you could be done with that is your late 20s, early 30s. And thinking about the people that are coming to you are not just doctors, but maybe OBGYNs, fertility doctors. Oh, they are. My twin sister is a midwife who I literally talk about too, like dealing with these fertility problems and, and issues at work, like maternity leave when literally your job is to advocate 
for other people to Mm -hmm. have healthy families is family planning. And your work environment is counterintuitive. It is everything against what you teach your patients. I'm like, where are our benefits? Where's our free egg freezing? If any, if any job should offer egg freezing, it should be for like med students and nurses. Right. It should be. Well, especially, I mean, that's just base level, right? Like you should always get benefits within the industry you work in. Exactly. Like you work at a restaurant, you get a staff meal, right? Like you, (laughs) you get to like eat your own dog food essentially, right? Like you get to, to experience what you're providing. Mm -hmm. It's bullshit that. Yeah. Like literally if you deliver babies for a living, like get your eggs frozen for free. Like that should just be, it should be no questions asked. It's not. (laughs) And the most painful part, though, is how much more at risk for infertility this community is, right? Yes. So it's like even more reason why it should be covered, and it's not. So that's what makes me angry about it. Oh, my goodness. To top it off, too, the last thing I want to say about the healthcare workers and this fertility issue is I'm looking at these numbers, and it's saying the 31 years old is when you finish training. And 32 is when the average age that you have the first baby for for female physicians in this study quoted by the New York Times. And I'm thinking, wow, I can feel, I can feel that guilt in those female physicians of just finishing their training and going on maternity leave too. Like how much is pushed against us, right? No, how much is pushed against us? Like, oh, we don't want to hire you because you're of, you know, birthing age. We don't want to have you be our fellow or sign you on. And it's like, what the fuck do you expect us to do? Yeah. What do you expect? Well, or like, you know, I have a friend who's an OBGYN who's like, oh, I have to like be at the practice for a year before, you know, I could be considered to become partner in the practice. Right? Like you have so many things to consider, not to mention that like, I think getting pregnant is the first time in a lot of people's lives where it's not in your control, right? Mm-hmm. So like you can plan all of your training. You can plan where you have your first job. You can like try to coordinate and orchestrate everything. And imagine, yes, you finally have the partner you want to have a baby with and you're like ready to do it. And your calendar says, yes, this is a good moment to have a baby. Like, guess what? It doesn't always work like that. Right. Yeah. And we know so many people. I mean, clearly it's happening to a lot of people in this this community. But, you know, it happens every single day that like you think all of the stars are aligned to have a baby and the universe has other plans. So even when you time everything just so it might not be that way. Well, Lauren, I cannot wait to continue this conversation. There's just there's so many topics to explore within egg freezing and ethics, the morality of it, as well as personal choice and, you know, why Jack and I are deciding to do this as well. So we will continue this conversation with you uh, in part two. Sounds awesome. And I just like, I want to leave this incredible community with like just one, one thing to keep in mind, right? Like we don't share this data or any of this to be fear mongering and like anyway, right? This to me is more about awareness and knowing the data that's out there, right? Like know it, internalize it, decide what feels right for you. Know there are proactive options. You don't have to take any of them, but awareness is everything. 
Lauren is such a badass. I literally can't wait for part two. Like you had to stop me. You're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Pause. I know. It was really hard to stop. We need to break here. Part two is going to be us diving even more in depth into co-fertility's split and keep program. And you guys are going to hear a little bit more about our personal reasons for why we're going into egg freezing and how we're just feeling overall about the process. So be sure to hit that follow along button, whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, wherever. So you get that episode downloaded first thing next Friday morning. Be sure, of course, to follow along with Lauren Mockler personally at Lauren Mockler on Instagram, L-A-U-R-E-N-M-A-K-L-E-R. And then be sure to follow along at Freeze by Co, at Family by Co, and at CoFertility on Instagram. Everything that we talk about on their website, like I said, they have the best blogs, so many resources. You can find that at www.cofertility.com slash freeze. That was a mouthful, but be sure to follow along. They also, as we talked about, have an awesome TikTok. Yes. Great TikTok account. Make sure to follow along with them on there and make sure to follow along with Jack. Not making fun of her nursing students, but, you know, (laughs) trying to relate. (laughs) Making fun of myself and making fun of them. A hundred percent. Wonderful. Well, we hope you love this episode. All the things, rate, review, share, comment. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next week with part two with Lauren. On that note, WOMED. Ouch.